The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was in God's presence, and the Word was God. He was present to God in the beginning. Through him all things came into being, and apart from him nothing came to be. Whatever came to be within him found life, life for the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not overcome it. The Gospel of the Lord. The last time we got together, we were looking at the Gospels and we found that Jesus is an enigma wrapped up within an enigma. He's a person, and yet he is a message and an impact. But to really understand this message and this impact, we had to broaden our vision. We had to step outside the Gospels and look back in history to what is called the Old Testament and look forward to the Acts of the Apostles, the letters from the leaders of the church, and also to that final book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And all the time we're trying to peel back some of the mystery so that we can understand better what God is trying to reveal to us. And what is he trying to reveal to us? Who he is, what he's about, and most importantly, what he has in mind for us. And that leads us to try to understand who we are and what we should be about. So let's take a moment and let's look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us some great understanding of the history of the people of Israel. All their sojourns, all their troubles, all their joys, all their sorrows are wrapped up into this 46 books. And in these books, we find out that there are some people who look at Bible as purely a source of scriptural-based material. We study it from the basis of our religion. Others look at it as a great collection of literature, of poetry, of great dialogue. And if we look at it, we find out that, yes, that is true. Because some of the things contained in the Bible has been put to music by various composers. And some of them are Handel and Bach. And we also find that there's portrayed in art by Michelangelo and by Rembrandt. We also see that some of the themes are contained within novels that you and I enjoy reading, like Quo Vadis and Ben-Hur. And yet we find ourselves often reading these scripture passages and asking questions. If God is so loving, 
how come he commands the people of Israel when they enter the promised land to wipe out all the current inhabitants? How can this be? How can this be an expression of love? We find ourselves conflicted. We're not sure how to interpret this passage. And yet we see that the purpose that God's doing this is he doesn't want his people, that chosen people, a people peculiarly his own, to be condemned by idol worship, to be turned away from him to follow other sources. And so we have to say, the loving God manifests himself in very strange ways. And what about the time when the people themselves are on the verge of extermination? And Esther puts her life on the line and saves her people from that extermination. And yet, in our own time, the people have been subjected to a near extinction again. Where is God in all this? Why do these cycles continue to repeat themselves? Where is God when I need him? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Where are you when I need you? How come you're not giving me the numbers to the lotto? You know, just a small prize I'd be happy with. It would make me really enjoy life a lot more if I won a million dollars. Well, where are you, God? I'm ready, pen in my hand, ready to write the numbers down, and yet I hear nothing. Is this God's love, or is it my keen anticipation of God doing something for me specifically? And what is that something? Sometimes we find ourselves in the condition the disciples did when they heard Jesus proclaim a parable and they'd call him aside and they'd say, is this for us or for someone else? Or do you want to run that by me one more time? We're still not able to really get in touch with that revelation God is trying to make. So in our passage tonight, we open it up with was, in the beginning was the Word, and that Word was with God, and that Word was God. And anybody who read that passage years ago, in the early days of the church, could immediately go back to sacred scripture in the Old Testament and see that opening line in Genesis which said, in the beginning... God created. What did he create? He created out of chaos, unity, uniformity. He brought light into the world. He brought life into the world. And he also brought temptation. He allowed temptation because it was to help us come to understand that that good will, that free will that he has given us is to choose to do the good. So we have that beautiful story of the temptation in the garden. 
But what we fail to realize when we read the story is that the moment Adam and Eve's eyes are opened and they realize they are naked, they have lost their innocence. They gained knowledge, but they lost their innocence. They lost the relationship with God, and that has been an ongoing struggle from that moment on. How do we reconnect with God? What is it we must do to reestablish our relationship with him? And if you go through the story of Saul and David and Solomon, you find out that that's the very struggle they went with. How do I use power for the benefit of all and not for myself and still be in relationship with God? Saul failed. David established a great kingdom, but in the long run, he too fell short. For if you recall, he was unable to build the temple because he had blood on his hands. Solomon, the chosen one, builds the temple. And as he's dedicating the temple, he prays for wisdom and God gives him that gift of wisdom and that wisdom is known throughout the known world. And suddenly he's tempted to build alliances by marrying king's daughters and allowing them to build temples to worship their own gods. And so his path from being with God is redirected away from God. The relationship is broken again. We look at this passage tonight. The light has come back into the world. And that light coming back into the world is Jesus whom you and I call the Christ. And that light is to establish life, not just life of getting up in the morning, feeding ourselves, checking to make sure our heart is beating, but also turning to God. What is our relationship with God? Each morning when we get up, that is our question. What is your will for me this day? How am I to carry out that will? How am I to trust your gift to me? 2,000 years have come and gone, and we still question ourselves that if the crucifixion of Christ brought us salvation, how come death is still part of our life cycle? Why aren't we already saved? Why do we have to go through all these frustrations, all this pain, all this suffering, and ultimately death if we're already saved? What does Jesus tell us? Daily. Daily, you must pick up your cross and follow me. Jesus shied away, or tried to shy away, in the agony in the garden. He said to his father, If there is some other way, 
I'd be happy to go that route. I know what crucifixion is like. I know what it entails. And he said that three times. Send me another way. Give me a way out. And finally, finally, he comes to the decision, not my will, but your will be done. And it says that that burden was lifted from his shoulders of fear, and he was able to carry the burden of the cross. And he was able to say, as he was raised up on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he was still able to hold on to his compassion, his love for his fellow man, when he looks to the man at his right, who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, this very day, you will be with me in paradise. And then he was able to say, I have finished the course. It is time for me to let go. And he says, Father, it is finished. And bowed his head and said, into your hands I commend my spirit. Are we willing to walk that path? We are called to. Are we willing to walk it is the question. And if we are willing to walk it, are we willing to proclaim it out loud to all those who would be willing to hear? Or do we confine ourselves to this building, this sanctuary, this place of contentment and never go outside those doors. If we are willing to commit ourselves, we take ourselves from this place and we go outside. And we go out in that world, that world of trouble, that world of chaos, that world of terrorism. And we say, I have a message for you. God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son. And in sending that son, he has given you a way out. The world is not a hopeless place. The world is truly a place that is calling for us to live with one another, to live as brother and sister, to care for one another, to dedicate ourselves to one another. And if we do that, at that moment, we are accomplishing God's will. And then we are truly, truly his sons and his daughters. We are truly brothers and sisters to the Christ and as such, inheritors to the kingdom. The kingdom is ours if we want it. The kingdom is ours if we trust in the word of God. The kingdom is ours if we recognize our King as Jesus the Christ. 
And when we do that, we become inheritors to that. It's a marvelous gift. It's free. No charge. It's not like the salesman that says, if you say you're not happy, you say you're not satisfied, tell you what I'm going to do. But rather, come. Come. Come into my house. Come into my place. Come. Become one with me, one like me, one who is in love with me, the Father, and the Spirit. So we find that the Gospels, the Old Testament, and the Acts of the Apostles are all that struggle of trying to come to balance with God, come to accepting his will, come to moving on with his plan for all of creation. And so we can say, we can truly say that the Gospels and the Old Testament and all the books contained within it are truly a love story, a never-ending story, the greatest story ever told.